Well, greetings in Jesus' name again to all of you. I hope you have your Bibles, grab your pens and uh, pieces of paper, whatever you want to walk through, uh, spend some time in the Word. I want to start today, before we get into the, uh, the text I really want to focus on, I want to start with just a few verses from Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, it's my heart for what I want to accomplish with these uh, little devotional messages. Uh, Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4, we read these words, and it's my cry for what we, I, I want to have happen with each of us. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, as I said, is that these messages, the things that we're spending time talking about, would do exactly that, would strengthen our weak hands, would make our, our feeble knees, if that's what they're feeling like, would make them firm, would just help us to be strong and not be afraid. If your hearts are anxious, that we would know that God is going to come uh, with vengeance, it says, and he will come and save us. But it does also speak to the heart of where we're going for I want to give encouragement. I want to strengthen those, uh, those knees and those hands, as I said. But I want to also be true to what God's word teaches. And I have to tell you that sometimes that means hearing messages that we maybe don't want to hear or would prefer not to hear for. It's a lot easier for us to say, oh, God is going to come save us. And we think that means that he's going to come remove us from the situation. And if you've been thinking back to some things that I've been uh, talking about, you know, two weeks ago we talked about the fact that we have this opportunity, this, this moment that we are in and we are to take advantage of that. And then last week we talked about the fact that this, this opportunity, though it's temporary, is applying some pressure, is bringing affliction to us perhaps. And the fact that we should look at that and say, that that affliction is a light and momentary affliction and it's working in us, it's producing in us a, an eternal weight of glory that will far outshine that. But that still means we're in a moment of affliction. And perhaps this, uh, this week, it's really kind of a part two of last week as we kind of continue digging in that. I want to tell you, as we are ready to uh, be encouraged and have our hearts strengthened and to not be afraid, I also have to tell you that uh, it may not be easy to hear the things that I have to say. It may not be a reassurance that says, hang on for God is going to wipe away every problem we have in front of us. Maybe to get ready for that, if you would just pray with me real quickly. God, thank you so much for your heart for us. We thank you that you come with a vengeance, that you have in fact done that through Jesus already and what you have done through Jesus has accomplished our greatest need, our greatest uh, uh, thing that we lacked, which was to be right with you. You have accomplished that through Jesus. You have really brought salvation for us in the name of Jesus Christ. And you've said that any who would trust in what Jesus has done, any who would cry out, any who would confess with their mouth that you, Jesus, our Lord, would believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead after he was crucified. God, you've said it's a promise to us that person will be saved, that anyone who cries uh, out to you will be saved. And we're so grateful for that because as we read the rest of Scripture, we recognize as we look at uh, their uh, things that happen in their lives and things that happen in our lives, we recognize that your salvation does not always mean uh, doing away with the difficulties in our lives. So would you give us grace today as we hear from your word in Jesus' name. Amen.
So last week I talked about the fact that Paul uh, referred to light and momentary afflictions. And he, of all things, uh, as he looked at those, I pointed us to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, and he went through some of those things that he was, uh, that he was uh, calling light and momentary afflictions. Uh, let me do a quick review. He says he was uh, uh, beaten with uh, receiving five, uh, 40 lashes less one five different times. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was uh, uh, on frequent journeys and on those journeys he was in danger from all over the place. He was in danger from rivers and from robbers and from his own people and from Gentiles and from the wilderness and from the sea and from false brothers. He had to work hard. He went through hardship. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He had sleepless nights. He was exposed to the elements. And apart from all those things, he was continually worried about what was happening to the churches that he was planting. He was continually worried about the pressures they were facing and how he could care for them. And of course, he said, I, I consider those light and momentary afflictions. If in fact you would look, it just a few verses after where I stopped reading, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. He says, if I'm going to boast, if I'm going to try to prove myself as an apostle, if I'm going to boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now that seems at you know, first glance, at, at a sort of surface level looking, that seems like a pretty ridiculous thing to say, Paul. You will boast in the things that show you weakness. For most of us, we do not like the things that make us show, appear weak. We don't like the things that reveal weakness in us. We don't like the things that make it obvious to those around us that we don't have a handle on what's going on. We don't, we're not in control of what's happening or that, that this is exposing our soft underbelly, as it were. We don't like those things. They make us uncomfortable. They make us appear weak. They make us appear uh, as if we're not able to measure up. We, in fact, most times do everything we can to cover up our weakness. It is the way of the world, after all, to not show weakness. And today, I'd like to exhort us from the Word of God that we can actually be glad for our weaknesses. We can rejoice in those things. And we want to look at what Paul wrote. In fact, if we just would continue reading, uh, he moves on to chapter 12 and he, he says a few other things about some of the, the, the surpassing great things, the, the, the incredible things that God has done in him. But he says this, just a few verses later, in, chapter, in verse 9 of chapter 12, he says the same kind of statement. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And this is the verse I really want to bring us to this week. Really, Paul? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me? How can I get to that place? How can I be glad or rejoice with the things that show weakness? And particularly in the time I'm in right now, where a lot of weakness is being displayed, a lot of things outside of my control, a lot of soft underbelly, as it were, is being put in, on display, how can I move to a place where I say, yes, Lord, I am glad about that, not, oh, I hate this, oh, this is awful, oh, I'm so worried about this. Well, let's get a bit of context from the surrounding verses. Let's jump back up to verse 7 and read with me from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is reflecting on the fact that he has some, had some great vision, some great understanding from the Lord. And he says, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's walk back a little bit there. I think it's pretty obvious to me that Paul was being afflicted with something that was obvious to everyone. He says in that phrase, he says, it was given to him a thorn in the flesh. Now, both of those words, the word for thorn and the word in his flesh indicate to me that there was something affecting Paul bodily, physically, and it was obvious to people. It was evident. Some have suggested it had to do with his eyesight. Who knows what it was for sure, but it's obvious to me that there was some kind of uh, physical and some kind of, uh, it, was, it was known to people that he had uh, some kind of hindrance, some kind of disability, some kind of weakness, some kind of uh, uh, feebleness that was attributed to him. But it's also obvious to me that there's a spiritual component to that. Look at what he says. He says there was a messenger, which is the word angel actually, there was an angel of Satan that was there to harass him, to, uh, to, to hem in on him, to, to, to try to oppress him. And that's a spiritual component. So I think it's fairly obvious that uh, Paul, as great as he was and as much as we see the Holy Spirit uh, leading him and him responding just on, on point, on cue many times in his life, he says, to keep me from being conceited, there was this, this messenger, this, this obvious physical affliction I had. And on top of that, it was coupled with a spiritual affliction that was coming. But look what he says. He says three times, Three times I begged God to remove it from me. Now, you and I, in most of our, our natural way of thinking, we would say, look at this guy. This guy is an apostle of apostles. This guy is a man walking around and laying his hands on people and healing them and preaching powerfully and saving thousands and establishing churches and walking so closely with the Spirit that he physically cannot go into an area that the Spirit is refraining him from. Certainly, if he would ask God to remove this from him, God would say, yes, as my, as my obedient servant, I will remove this from you to enable you to be more fruitful for me. But instead, we hear God telling him, we hear Jesus telling him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I won't remove that from you, Paul, is what God said. This thing that is oppressing you spiritually and physically, this thing that is affecting you in some way, I won't remove it from you. I need you to understand something, Paul. I need you to know that my grace is sufficient and I need you to understand this biblical principle that my power, Paul, is made perfect in your weakness. Friends, dare we believe that God has the same things to say to us? That he, in fact, will not, intentionally will not remove some things from us because it is only in our weakness that his power can be made perfect, that he wants us by the same token to understand that his grace is sufficient. I'm telling you, this is opposite to what we would normally think or how we would normally view things. The world around us, the culture around us, the flesh that is in us would like to take power, take command of things, to remove those things that are hindrances and say, get away from me, uh, uh, don't, don't bother me, I'm free of that, I'm no longer touched by that. 
And God invites us to say, what if it's actually upside down? What if it's backwards? What if it's not like that? What if I want you to know that my grace is sufficient? And I want to let us know today that there's a connection I want to make in God's word. It's not just about making ourselves weak. It's not making about ourselves making ourselves feeble and laying down and saying, well, I can't do anything. I have no power at all. I'm just this powerless person. It's not that at all. In fact, there's a connection I think we should see that this grace that is sufficient is tied to this word faith that we have. I think the answer is revealed for us. If you would uh, quickly flip over with me to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. This is the chapter that we call the faith chapter. And I just want to spend some time in this chapter. Not, we're not going to read uh, all of it by any stretch. But I want to just remind us of some things that are said here and get us to see the connection between faith, between trusting God in our weakness, and between that grace that gets unleashed in our lives that is sufficient for us then. Chapter 11 of Hebrews starts off saying, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you'd read on about verse 6, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For uh, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That he's a diligent rewarder of those who draw near to him, who seek him, who come after him. That that faith honors. And we see this phrase uh, repeated through scripture. By faith, Abel. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, the people. By faith, by faith, by faith. This connection between all these people and listen to what it says. And what more shall I say? There's far more we could talk about. I Time would fail me, he says, to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And he goes on, but I want you to pay attention to the progression of what is being said. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Friends, are we paying attention? For when I began to read in verse 32 of these things that happened by faith, of the way that God powerfully displayed himself through those people who called out to him in faith or who followed him in faith, we read of wonderful things, things that make sense to us, right? Delivered from lions, set free, escaping from those who came to sought their lives, turning the, 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 the tide of the battle, being mighty in war, being resurrected, those are things we like to hear, right? But the tone changes. And I think the thrust of it for us is that these were not any less putting the, the power of God on display through their weakness than the, than the first ones. But these are tortured. These are suffering. These are mocked and flogged and imprisoned. These are stoned and cut in two and killed. And they go about destitute and poor and afflicted and mistreated. That doesn't sound like such a lovely place anymore, does it? 
But I can tell you there's something that every one of them has in common. In fact, every single person in that chapter has in common. And it's in the verse that comes right after where I stopped reading. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Every one of these heroes of faith that we read about Every one of them, out of their weakness, God displayed power, and His grace, I would tell you, was sufficient for them. And yet, every one of them, it says, did not receive what was promised to them in their lifetime. They were put on hold. Now, some people will tell us that that was put on hold until the coming of Jesus. I would say, by what we're reading from Paul in 2 Corinthians, that he would say, I'm putting myself right along uh, those, those verses. I'm putting myself right along that story of those people who were, whose lives of weakness displayed the power of God, whose, grace, uh, whose lives displayed that the God's grace is sufficient for them, who were responding in faith, but yet not receiving the fullness of the promise that God has for them until we're all there together when Jesus returns, when we're all in heaven with him when he will finally have had everything put under his feet. Again, those are Paul's words, that everything must be put under Jesus' feet. And only when that happens is the fullness of the promise has it come. That's why Paul would look at his life and say, the weakness I have, I will boast in that weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, so that... Jesus, having told me that his grace is sufficient, may really be put on display. As I respond in faith, as I respond in trusting in God, no matter what weakness, no matter what pressure comes, no matter what things unfold, no matter what soft underbelly I have, that his grace may be released in my life and his power may be put on display. In fact, his power may be made perfect in us. He goes on to say in verse 10, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. And look at the list of things he's content with. But before you look at that list, can I just pause you for a moment? That word, I am content, I'd like to phrase it even a bit stronger because I don't think that's really giving the full weight to what Paul was saying. It's not just that I'm content, that I'm okay with it. It just so happens it's like this. But he uses the word, yudokeho, which means I'm actually pleased with. I will speak well of, I will think well of, I will think highly of. I'm actually pleased with these things with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and with calamities. I have to chuckle at that last one, at calamities. Do you know the Greek word for calamities is a word that means the, when, when room is diminished, when there's a shrinking in, when your space that you're in is, 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 is shrinks and you're pressed in, you're pressed around you. And I think, is that not the place we find ourselves exactly these days? where things are pressed in, the amount of space we have is pressed. We have to stay at home for the most part. And Paul says, I will think well of those things. For Christ's sake, I'm content. I'm pleased with those weaknesses because, and this is my own paraphrase, because God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. Brothers and sisters, can we not only become convinced that God's grace is incredibly powerful in our time of need, but can we in fact agree with and submit ourselves to the idea 
that in a place of weakness and great need might be exactly where God wants us to be. That in fact, we should welcome it. That in fact, it is what allows the power of God to be put on full display in us. I say a similar thing to what I said last week. The victory of Christ cannot be put on display without the, break, the breaking, the laying down of our life, the death of Christ, without the weakness. Of all things, as we look to this week that's before us, we think about the passion of Jesus Christ. We think about the breaking of Jesus Christ. We think about the, the suffering of Jesus Christ. We think about the weakness that Jesus put on display much to the disciples and his followers' consternation, and they couldn't believe it, the weakness that Jesus put on display so that the power of God might be also perfected in him. This is the path that he has chosen for us. Let me return to my grace is sufficient for you. Can we trust that God's grace is sufficient for us? If we read to Paul's words in Titus, let me read them for you. It begins in chapter 2. He says this, The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. But pay attention to what it does. It's bringing salvation for all people. It's training us. It's disciplining us. That's what that word is. It's disciplining us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, right now, for this, right this moment, this occasion was before us, is training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives while we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Can God in his grace remove this situation of pain, this situation of hemming in, this situation of displaying weakness in us? Can he remove that from us? Absolutely. Will he? I don't know. I don't think that's what he's after at in the end. It's whether he will remove it from us or not. I can tell you the ultimate goal he has is to have us arrive at the appearing of Jesus ready for that, prepared, purified, having lived lives that are godly, upright, self-controlled. Because His grace has appeared and disciplined us, trained us to do exactly that. Didn't matter whether we were in a place of weakness or power. Didn't matter whether He removed it from us or not. That's at His discretion. He is God after all. But can we bring ourselves to a place of saying, because I trust in the sufficiency of God's grace, because I understand that his power can only be made perfect when I am weak, when I am powerless. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let me give you, as we wrap this up, two very specific encouragements along this line, two very specific expressions of God's grace being sufficient for us. The first is, again, turning to the book of Hebrews and the words that the writer wrote in chapter 4. He says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sin. Did you catch that? We have a high priest, his name is Jesus, and he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we know that he has shown the way. He has led us in triumph, for he did not give in to any of that temptation. He was without sin the entire way, which is why the very next verse is true. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The first specific exhortation of comfort I give to you, friends, is that Jesus, your high priest, is able to sympathize with your every weakness. He knows exactly what it's like to be subjected in the flesh to the things around us, to be weak to those things that, may, that are trying to take control over us. And the second also comes from Paul, the second piece of, of exhortation, this time from the uh, letter Romans in chapter 8, verse 26. For Jesus is himself up in heaven, now is he not? But when he left, he did not leave us without help, but he sent the Holy Spirit to us. And he says this in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, be encouraged. Not only is Jesus our high priest, uh, able to sympathize, able to know exactly what weakness we face, but he has sent us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ever present around us. He dwells inside of us, and he also is able to help us in our weakness. In fact, when we don't even know how to pray, we don't even know what to say, he is interceding for us on our behalf with words that we can't even express. What an amazing gift God has given us through the Holy Spirit. When we are equipped with the knowledge that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, has been able to sympathize with our every weakness and yet has not succumbed to them, and when we follow that up with the knowledge that his abiding presence inside of us is interceding for us always in ways we don't even know how to, then we can truly agree with Paul. It doesn't matter what weakness, what insult, what hardship, what persecution, what calamity, what pressing incomes. I will boast and I will be glad of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Remember, friends, God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. Can I then offer two specific prayers for you today as well? The first comes from the book of Colossians. Now, I love all of Paul's prayer, but I'm only going to read two verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And this is my prayer for you. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The second comes from Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. Also a prayer for strength. For this reason, Paul says, and this is my prayer for you as well, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he ends by saying this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him 
To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Those are my prayers for you this week and in the coming days. Pray with me if you would. Father, there's not much more I can say than that. I pray that you would strengthen us by your glorious might, that we would have endurance and patience with joy, knowing that this display of weakness, this that has brought about our very weakness, our inadequacy, our inability to ward off the coronavirus or to stop the craziness in the world around us, that that weakness, in fact, that we rejoice in that and we are patient and endure in that. We stay in that knowing that your strength is made perfect through that. That you can then put the amazing display of your sufficient, all-sufficient grace in us. But I pray, Father, that in doing so, that we, the way we're strengthened is that we are dwelling in you. That Christ is dwelling in us. That we would know the love that you have for us. The height, the depth, the length, the breadth and to know your love. God, you are able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. We would, you know the desire of our heart. We would ask you to remove this trial from us, but we must bring ourselves to a place where we can say like Jesus did, not our will, but yours, because in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. Help us to respond in faith that your grace can be unleashed in our lives and show its all sufficiency. Give us the courage, the boldness to say, God, I rejoice. I am glad for my weaknesses so that your power can be put on display. We humbly yield and submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.